Tis the month of St. Patty's Day, and here's a random related fact. Did you know that the odds of finding a lucky four-leaf clover are 1 in 10,000? I'd say that's pretty difficult. Fortunately, if you're a business owner or hiring manager, you don't need luck to find top talent for your team. You need ZipRecruiter, and right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Bob. You don't need a leprechaun when ZipRecruiter's brilliant technology is going to walk you right to that pot of gold of top talent. As soon as you post your job, ZipRecruiter powerful technology starts showing you the best qualified candidates for it. Aren't you just a wee bit curious to see how ZipRecruiter can help you? Well, today's your lucky day because you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Bob. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Once again, just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Bob. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is the music I've selected for the Christmas play. Welcome to the Bob and Sherry Show with Bob. Don't talk to me about Christmas, will you? All that sticky, phony goodwill. I'd like to get a giant candy cane and beat the wings off a sugar plum fairy. And Sherry. I'm Mrs. Claus. No wonder he only leaves home once a year. And now, broadcasting from our beautifully decorated, toasty, warm Bob and Sherry studios, it's Bob and Sherry. Woo! Happy Monday, everybody. Do you realize that today we are exactly three weeks away from Christmas? Today is the day. Whoa! Is it? Three weeks away. Yep. Christmas is on a Monday this year. So if you haven't started your shopping, I did, um, I did a little bit of shopping last night. Um, I had asked, you always, I always ask my daughters, why don't you text me some like I'm, I've already gotten some gifts for them, but text me some things that you want. And one of my daughters uh, sent me a link to like a clothing and accessories website that was as goth as it could be. <laughs> like, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, goth. And I got no fight with it, right? Like, you know, I went through that stage myself. Like, I've got no issue with it. But I find myself, I'm perusing the website for, hmm, let me see. Would she like the cloak of extreme darkness or the apron (laughs) that has the devil cat on it? Choices, choices, choices. Like, it was hysterical. So I'm cruising around and I'm looking at this um, stuff to get one of my kids. And I click on a link in my news feed. And it was congratulating this woman in India. She's 46 years old. She hasn't had a haircut since she was 14. So do the math. That's a long time. She just hit the world record for the longest hair in the world. Her hair is seven feet, nine inches long. Yes, seven feet, nine inches. I can't even imagine the weight that pulls on her head. And on her how does she how does she walk around? Because obviously it would be dragging three feet or four feet behind her, right? Well, I I think you know I'm, I was looking at the photo of her, and I can I can post this over two if feet. You want. There's vid two feet. There's some interesting video. I can um, send it over, put it on Facebook, so y'all can see it. She, um, I think she kind of like restrains it, clips it, bundles it. However, you. I don't know how you could make it into like a bun and put it on top of your head without taking over. <laughs> I'd like over. to see it. Oh but yeah, she said, Marge Simpson. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> she said exactly. that she has no intention of cutting it. Like now that she's hit the world record, so for she last had a haircut at fourteen, 
So that was like, what, 32 years ago. Um, and she has no intention of cutting it. She said, I'm, I just wanted to keep growing and, and see how long I can manage it. And it's interesting because I read once, and I, I assume this is true, that your hair, each of us has like a fixed point and our hair won't get any longer than that. Like you really? can only grow your hair up to a certain point. She's one of these people, I guess, with the unlimited hair growth gene. Bob, you had long hair at one point. Mm -hmm. I mean, did, did you notice that it just kept going or did it hit a point and then it stopped and that was as long as it got? Um, I'm not sure, but it had a great sheen because I use Pantene. But um, as far as it stopping, no. I mean, I would. I never figured that out. When I had long hair, it wasn't so long. It wasn't like um, Leonard Skinnerd long. You know, it was just like jawline right there like shoulder I, length yeah not I'm gonna quite tell, I'm, yeah i won't I, <clears throat> I tried to grow my hair out but what stopped my hair from growing was doris richardson my mama <laughs> <laughs> she said either you go get it cut or tomorrow morning you're going to wake up one side of it's going to be shaved off then you what you're going to do so, how yeah, old yeah. were you then <clears throat> how old were you when you wanted to grow uh, like 13 14 oh yeah yeah no i was yeah, probably I 16 I wanted yeah. to grow it long. And of course, I, I've told I you, I can't have the bangs because she said I was too fat. So <laughs> I thought long hair might balance it off. So I don't know. I don't think Max has ever had long hair, have you? I did. I, there was a time that I did, yeah. Um, How when long? I, when I had more. Um, but you see, my hair is very wispy. And so you can only get it but for so long. But when we were kids, my brother and I, they gave us absolute buzz cuts. So my brother and I looked. <laughs> In school pictures, we look like serial killer mug shots. <laughs> I know that look. You I had that I, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. You look at that and go, wow, that's pretty dramatic. You know what my father would say? It, it would be like in July and I'd have to go to the barber. He would say, let's get it cut down uh, to a real tight crew cut. It'd be cooler for him in the summer. Well, you know, it's not that hot in Connecticut. You know what I mean? And I never I never found that looking bald really did cool me off. You know, I just I don't think hair is that much of a problem with heat. In my family, haircuts were uh, money saving things. So what you needed to do was to get your hair cut as short as possible so that right. they wouldn't have to spend money on another haircut Next for a time. while. Yeah, yeah. And. And that, that does make sense. Like if we take my brother mm -hmm. in and we give him, we shave him down to the nub, it's going to be a minute before he needs another haircut. Yeah, it's true. But my, bro my brother was tall and super, super gangly. And he had the lynch eyes and we all have eyes like groupers. You know, they all like stick out of our heads like periscopes. You know, we have like almost <laughs> full panoramic vision. So he's pale as a ghost, tall, gangly, awkward with these enormous bulging blue eyes. And now he's got no hair. He looked like powder. It was very unfortunate for, for a long time. I'll tell you what, I was 12 years old when they shaved it and I did not look like I just got back from Camp Lejeune. I, I looked <laughs> ridiculous, just ridiculous. But what are you gonna do? You know, I mean, if your parents are, are saying, it's five bucks, I think it was like, Five bucks to get my hair cut back then. Five bucks was five bucks. So, you know, well, cut it short. And in tight. our family, there was always that one aunt who would offer to give you a haircut. And oh. even as a small child, you had the instinctive, deep knowledge 
that Aunt Whitney had not gone to cosmetology school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and why was anyone giving her scissors and pointing her in your direction? Like it That's was right. bad. All right, yeah. we got morons in the news coming up. We have things Bob didn't know, comedian Derek Stroop, and guess what? Where you're from in this great, vast country of ours really does shape your personality. The stereotypes are real. We've got the details. It's Bob and Sherry. Hi, I'm Star First Class Fishburne. I'm a 12 Hotel, a construction engineer, supervisor. I would like to give a great shout out to my mom, the most amazing mom in the world. Go birds. I'll be home soon. Here's Bob and Sherry. I am not a business person. I have never been a business person. I have been uh, doing this whatever this is, just about all of my life. You know, for a few years, I produced television features. But beyond that, I, I have never had uh, balances I had to look at at the end of the month. I've, I've never conducted meetings to tell about the future of where we're going and all of that. I don't understand business except on a very surface level. And so reading the business section of, what was it? I think it was CNN. And understanding exactly what happened to this one company just made me feel so good. Here is the headline. Red Lobster's endless shrimp deal was too popular, and they lost $11 million because of it in one quarter. I can understand that, okay? It's endless shrimp. Endless. You're going to have a certain amount of people who are plopped down a $20 bill and they'll eat like 15 shrimp, and then they'll call the waitress over, the waiter over, and say, I'd like to have about another 15 shrimp. Well, there were a lot of people doing that. And not only that, they got with it, They you could choose uh, linguine alfredo, grilled shrimp skewers, coconut shrimp. It went on and on. Red lobster tanks because they were only charging 20 bucks. They said we still would have lost if we charged $22. So they hit $25. And and the main reason was they would only do this a certain time of the year, like this time of the year, because their traffic is less. I I guess their people want to go and get a lobster during the summer or something, spring. And they only would do it one day a week. The execs at Red Lobster said, you know, we need more traffic here. Let's do this endless shrimp. Seven days a week. And people said, yeah, I'll take you up on that. And I'm going to eat about 50 coconut shrimp. And that's what <laughs> happened. And I can, underst- I can understand I this. I to miss out on that. You see what I mean? I can understand how that was just uh, stupid. That was, there was no actuary brought in. The, these guys just sat around the boardroom there at Red Lobster. And I'm not making fun of them. You know, I'm just saying somebody threw it out and they went, let's give it a shot. That that's my business acumen. I can explain it. Tell me. All right. They're in the board. Okay. The people that run Red Lobster, they're all sitting up there and somebody says, let's do endless shrimp and we're going to charge this much for it. Some guy at the table goes, well, you know, what if a ton of people just sat there and ate and ate and ate? Would we not lose money? The rest of the people on the board, executives, they haven't been in a Walmart. They haven't been to the grocery store. They haven't been out in the general public in years. They're going, no, there's not that many people that eat that much. 
My friends wouldn't. Exactly. Here's what the president said. Nobody I know would eat over six or eight shrimp. Ten at the most. Right. He, he's got no idea what he's talking about. He in fact, he hadn't been in a Red Lobster. He hasn't been in a Red Lobster probably in three or four yeah. years. And walked You know, through. that's true. That is exactly know, right. Know your audience. Know your people. You've got to yeah. know your people. I could walk into Listen, I can ride by our Red Lobster on a Friday night, and it's lined up. People standing outside. And I can mm-hmm. look at that and say, Mm-mm. You don't want no all you can eat for twenty bucks here, buddy. You'll be cutting mm-hmm. the lights off. I mean, yeah. that ain't gonna happen. And there's ain't gonna happen. there's always there's always that one guy in the room mm-hmm. who, um, when you present the reasonable, rational objection, he shoots it down. Bob and I used to work with a guy, and I won't name him because, with my luck, he's listening right now. Um, he never listened when we worked together, but I'm sure he's listening right now. <laughs> so um, he would float these terrible ideas. And Bob would say, you know, I'm just wondering if that's really going to work. I mean, you're asking people to drive down an unlit, unpaved road at 9 p.m. on a Tuesday night to get a free candy cane. I I don't see that working. And that guy would look at Bob and go, well, Bob, uh, that's because you just don't understand how much people want a free candy cane. (laughs) Over and over again, we you're so negative, these Bob. Meetings. Yeah. yeah, Bob, you're yeah. so negative and cut off from reality. We would be in these meetings and Bob would make a very rational, he would ask a question or make a really reasonable objection. And this guy would be like, oh, well, Bob, of course you don't think so. Well, as it turned out, Lamar, um, and I was there that night, absolutely no <laughs> one was willing to drive down an unpaved, unlit road at 9 p.m. on a Tuesday for a free mini candy cane. And you know why I knew and he didn't? Because you and I were out with the public shaking hands, listening to people, noticing people. And again, just like Lamar said, that guy is in an office with thick pile carpeting and does not go out and meet people. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and so true. somebody said, we can't do unlimited shrimp seven days a week. And someone else said, oh, Preston, sit down. <laughs> And now right. they've lost, what'd you say, $11 million, billion? $11 million in the first quarter, in the, of the last quarter, yeah. Morons in the News is straight ahead. It's Bob and Sherry. Morons in the News is sponsored by Lowe's. Find the top products and quantities you need when you need them. Lowe's knows pros. It's Bob and Sherry. The craziest. Moronic. Asinine. With morons in the news. Banksy is the renegade artist that has become a superstar in the world of art. He started out showing up and painting with spray paint for the most part, but other paint also, the side of a building. And people said, this is not just graffiti, this is brilliance. And his legend grew and grew and grew. Here's the new story about Banksy. A mural painted by Banksy was largely destroyed after the crumbling building on which it was painted was flattened as part of a local regeneration scheme. This is in the town of Dover, England. The artwork, which depicts a worker on a ladder chipping away at the flag of the European Union, was created in 2017. So we all know that Britain was saying, I don't want to be a part of the uh, union anymore. It's Brexit time. And so Banksy was commenting on that. His work was worth $1.2 million. 
and the city, without telling anybody, tore it down and said, well, what are you going to do? We're going to have to build other buildings here, and we just couldn't move it. We just couldn't save it. It is a great big up yours to Mr. Banksy in the world of art. $1.2 million, Arrivederci, it is gone. Mm-hmm. Lamar? Well, <laughs> that's not the same problem that the driver in Benicia, California had when the police noticed her car had a very obviously forged license plate. What appears to be black duct tape holds this flimsy, excuse me, flimsy replica in place on the back of the car. The fake plate, which appears to be fashioned from a sheet of printer paper, has a plate number hand-drawn across it in thick black Sharpie. <laughs> the digits on the right side of the plate are ever so slightly smaller than those on the left, an adjustment the artist likely had to make midway through the scam to squeeze all the numbers in, okay? Yeah. The top right corner of the plate where the registration sticker goes, it reads January 2023, also in Sharpie. But current tags would have a date that says January 2024. The police said, we are not superheroes. But just for your information, (laughs) this is not a way to get away from us. Okay, we're a little smarter than that. After an officer spotted the fake plate, they looked up the vehicle and discovered it was reported stolen. The officer arrested the driver on two charges, felony possession of stolen vehicle and misdemeanor possession of unlawful paraphernalia and terrible penmanship. I don't know how much time <laughs> she's going to get, but it didn't work out. <laughs> and today's moron of the day. This happened in Mount Kisco, New York. So a manager at a chopped restaurant, chopped is um, like a fast food casual uh, chain that specializes in salad. If they don't have one in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. C H O P T chopped. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, I've been there. So a manager up at the Mount Kisco chopped was working away in the kitchen chopping arugula when she accidentally severed part of her left pointer finger. She she went off to the hospital. She went off to the hospital, but her team served the arugula to customers including one woman named Allison Cozy of Greenwich, Connecticut, who was eating her salad when she realized that the chewy thing was part of a human finger. Oh, no. Oh, my word. How could that have happened? Let me answer your next question. You bet she's suing. You bet (laughs) she is. Yeah. Yeah. She said that... um, As a result of having a human finger salad, she's experienced shock, panic attacks, (laughs) nausea, dizziness, neck and shoulder pain, cognitive impairment, and migraines. And so are the rest of us just knowing this story. So I'm completely (laughs) sympathetic. I've had a restaurant give me the finger, but not that way before. Woo! I'm telling my youngest this. And I'm like, can you believe this? And my child says, that's why you'll never catch me eating arugula, which I think was not the point I was trying to <laughs> but, but she was able to keep to that low-carb diet. Yeah. Yeah, that's this true. Is, you know, here we got my sister just trying to be healthy and eating an arugula salad when everybody knows pepperoni pizza is way more delicious. That's there right. she is eating her arugula salad, and she gets a big old bite of human finger. Mm, mm. Absolutely not chopped. 
Absolutely not. We'll get this story posted up on the Bob and Sherry Facebook coming up. A round of things Bob didn't know. And when it comes to covering the Stone Song Satisfaction, listen up. Miss Dolly Parton can get some. And we've got it for you. And it's amazing. Bunch of cool stuff on today's show. Happy Monday. It's Bob and Sherry. True. Weird. Stuff. You've heard of Bonnie and Clyde, but before one of the most infamous crime sprees in American history came to a bullet-riddled end, Bonnie, Clyde, and their cohorts found themselves cornered by the law. This is the tale of the Barrow Gang at the Red Crown. True. Weird. Stuff. New episodes drop every Friday, everywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Lilliman with U.S. Army NATO in Sandbach, Germany. I'd like to wish my family in Colorado Springs happy holidays. I miss you guys, and I'll see you soon. Here's Bob and Sherry. How would you like to have just a little taste of some more of my Christmas bag? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. All right. Stockbridge, Massachusetts recreates the Norman Rockwell Christmas painting every year. Okay? Mm-hmm. This town... Right. Uh, becomes even more beautiful during the holidays when it transforms a Norman Rockwell painting into its own city streets. Each December, for two hours, the streets are closed to traffic. They park vintage cars across from the Red Brick Town Hall, Williams and Son Country Store, and the 240-year-old Red Lion Inn. And Stockbridge recreates the Sunday scene depicted in Norman Rockwell's 1967 painting, Stockbridge Main Street at Christmas. I would like to see that in person. That would would be cool. I would love to see that. That is the coolest. I think that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard of. I mean, but now they only do it for two hours. So you got to get there. You know what I'm saying? But I, I just, I don't know. I think it's cool. Here's another thing. A handwritten copy of Twas the Night Before Christmas was sold for $280,000. In 2006, an unnamed business executive purchased one of the four known handwritten copies of Clement Clark Moore's poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, which is better known now, of course, as Twas the Night Before Christmas. He bought it at an auction. The 1860 poem was signed by the author. He paid the money for it, and he reportedly read it out loud at a holiday party. (laughs) I'm not really so much impressed that he was able to read it out loud at the holiday party because I got a $3 book with pictures and everything that I could read at a holiday party. So, But anyway, I think that's pretty cool, though. $280,000. Isn't that something? Yeah. All right. That's this bag of Christmas for right now, and this is Bob and Sherry. Hello, everybody. This is Specialist Tony Zabala. I am currently deployed in Poland. I am assigned to 135AR. I would like to wish my family and friends back in Apple Valley, California, uh, happy holidays. And to my son, Adonis, I love and miss you so much, and I cannot wait to get home to you. Here's Bob and Sherry. And now on the Bob and Sherry Show, it's another exciting episode of Things Bob Didn't Know. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us for this. Wow. There's <laughs> there's a lot today because there's a lot of things that evidently I didn't know. And let's start with this one. During the 1800s, the beautiful state of Hawaii, before it was a state, became one of the most literate nations in the world. 
over 90% of the population in Hawaii was able to read and write. King Kamehameha III proudly declared, I have a kingdom of education. That's pretty amazing that the most remote piece of land on the planet, which is what Hawaii is, 90% of the population could read. Did you know that there are only uh, 11 letters in the Hawaiian alphabet? That's all they need. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, just 11. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Amsterdam's Rijek Museum awarded its 10 millionth visitor the chance to spend one night in the museum alone. The winner slept underneath Rembrandt's The Night Watch. How cool would that be to be the only person in the museum? And to get to sleep under that extraordinary. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would, I would, I, I would imagine they had cameras on whoever that person was. Wouldn't you think? Oh yeah. Well, you'd have to come on. Yeah. Yeah, you'd Priceless, have Priceless, irreplaceable artworks. Right, right. You'd have to. Aretha Franklin, the great Aretha. We miss her so much and love her so much. Aretha Franklin required that she be paid in cash before any performance. The cash went into her handbag, and the handbag went to a security guy, or it would rest in front of Aretha on the piano. And she could keep her eye on that money. R-E-S-B-C-T, find out what it means to me. Go, girl. Cash money. It didn't matter if it was five grand or a hundred grand. She had to have it in her purse. I just love that it goes into her purse. Michelin tires. You know, everybody knows Michelin tires. I don't know if everybody knows about the Michelin uh, book the travel book book that reviewed uh, hotels and especially restaurants across the country. Yeah. Yeah. Michelin star reviews. They started reviewing restaurants at Michelin tires. So people would travel farther and wear out their tires. That was the whole idea, whether or not they were accurate, which they were. The whole idea was to wear out tires because people were then traveling more on our super highways. It's a pretty smart idea. In 1956, France banned the serving of alcohol to children under the age of 14 in school cafeterias. Prior to that, school children had the right to drink half a liter of wine, cider, which was alcoholic, or beer with their meals at school. In 1981, France implemented a total ban of alcohol in the country's schools. I think I'm trying to think if I would have done better. I mean, I couldn't have done any worse in seventh grade. If you'd had a glass of wine with lunch. Yeah, just, you know, kind of walk into French class with a little buzz on. I mean, I bet those were the highest years of attendance for the French schools. I bet you that. <laughs> it might have been. You know what? You know what, Bob? I'm going to sit here and agree with you. Yeah. I think really? seventh grade yeah. was so difficult for you. Your family was going mm-hmm. through so much. Puberty yeah. had you by the, you know, throat. Ah. <sighs> Um, you were you were struggling to own your dream of someday growing up to be an entertainer. 
ever yeah. a middle schooler needed a cocktail to settle down at yeah. lunch, it might have been you. <laughs> lunch, lunch lady, could I get one more pass on the Chardonnay before I leave? Yeah, oh I think it gosh. might have helped me. Yeah. <laughs> Ernie Hudson. Does everybody remember Ernie Hudson? He played uh, Winston. Yeah, yes. in the Ghostbuster movies. Yeah, that's right. He was always the uh, the Winston character in the Ghostbuster movies. He was rejected for a role in the Ghostbusters short-lived cartoon series because producers thought he didn't sound like Ernie Hudson. He didn't sound <laughs> like himself. I mean, how does that how does that happen? Real like, doctors. He, he is going to be in the next sequel, though. Yeah. Oh, the he next, is. The next, yeah, the next sequel is yeah. coming out after the first of the year, and he is in it. Be real. Tell me, one? tell me that doesn't sound like something that would happen to you. Tony comes totally. to me and goes, we have, we have yeah. an opportunity to do this really cool project, but they need to replace Bob because he doesn't sound enough like Bob. That <laughs> is exactly that what would happen, would happen to you. It's the Bob and Sherry cartoon and they get somebody from uh, John Boy and Billy's show to play me. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> real doctors from USC medical center were recruited to play doctors, the doctors who save E.T. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, the yeah. doctors yeah. were there to save E.T. They got real doctors because Spielberg felt the actors talking about technical medical matters did not seem real. They did not seem natural. That is so Spielberg. And let's hey. end with this one. The world's richest. I want you to really pay attention to this. The world's richest 1% admit as much carbon pollution as 5 billion people. That's CBS two days ago. A report well, from um, CBS News. Hello. Jeff Bezos' yacht showed up in Florida, and it's so big that they had to dock it with the cruise ships. That's right. That's Plus, right. he went into outer space on a lark. You think that there's not just Jeff Bezos alone? Is it yeah, putting out more carbon than you? Yeah, five billion people. It's Bob and Sherry. Hey, this is Lamar, and I've got my own podcast. It's called Talking Lamar. On this episode, Lamar Saves Christmas, I'm telling you what not to buy your wife so you can have a happy Christmas. You can find it on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Leave us a talk back. Talk back with the free Bob and Sherry app. So you guys, I tore my house apart looking for a photo. Back when I was a kid, um, I had my picture taken with Rosalind Carter and oh, in really? the White House. Yeah. Wow. And I oh, thought, with the oh, spelling wow. With the, when I was in the National Spelling Bee. And I, I was like, yeah. I know I've got this photo here somewhere. I've got other photos from the, that period. I can't mm -hmm. find my picture. How is it not hanging up? I, well, I mean, nobody cares, Lamar. No. Front door. Front no one door. Cares. That's the first thing people see when they come in because you were yeah. in the National Spelling Bee. You don't keep that a secret. You don't hide your candle under a bushel. That's in the Bible. You don't hide your candle <laughs> under the bushel. Okay. Listen, I lost the National Praise, Spelling Praise, brother. Please say it. I lost. I came in 10th. That is, that is you the You were there. Clue. Bob, was you the at the National loser. Spelling Bee? Bob, was you there? <laughs> was you at the National Spelling Bee? I wasn't at the National Spelling Bee. Let me go ahead and say this. Let me go ahead and say this. There comes a point. I hate bragging. Bragging. I don't want to hear about it. Don't, don't be bragging on me. But there's some things that goes past that ban on bragging. There's some things mm -hmm. that you have to brag about. 
<clears throat> when I was a kid, I lived in a single wide trailer with a white picket fence that we had to paint every year. And we planted our flowers in tractor tires that was turned inside out. So, I, I, you know, I, I'm sitting there at Christmas time. My daddy's passed out in the green beans. If I had a thought at that point in time, one day I could look at another human being and say, if I mentioned to you that my son is a doctor, <laughs> I, I, I would have never thought that could yeah. possibly happen. Yeah. Even yeah. when my son said, my son said, I'm going to go to medical school. I said, well, that's good, baby. Sort of like when you told me you was going to be an NBA star. That was good, too. That was good. That was really good. Yeah. That was really good. Right, right, right. Well, the fool managed to get through it, and he's a doctor. And so basically, if you've ever seen me, spoke to me, you don't have to speak to me. Just listen to me. I'm going to tell you my son's a doctor. He's a doctor. It's got nothing to right. do with me. I had nothing. I promise you I had nothing to do with it. But when my sorry redneck butt <laughs> can have a son that's a doctor. And while I say that, my daughter is a veterinarian. I don't know where this is all that coming is, from. That is amazing. Uh, I make a point. So, so Sherry, uh, if I was in the – I'd have a T-shirt. That's, I, I, I did have a shirt that said my son's a doctor, but nobody would walk around with me if I wore it. So I, I had to put that up. But if I was you, I'd have that on a shirt. I was in the National Spelling Bee. Ask Rosalind Carter. <laughs> Oh yeah. Can, no, can no, I make one man, can no. I make one suggestion to you? Um if, Go if ahead. you ever meet if you ever meet uh one of your son's patients and he's about to go under the knife with your son, don't use the phrase the fool, fool. somehow got through medical school. <laughs> listen, don't do listen, it. Listen. <laughs> listen. When my son became a doctor, I have to say I lost a certain amount of respect for the medical field because up until that point, <laughs> oh doctors I thought doctors were like, they knew everything, you know, they knew everything. And I'm sitting yeah. there looking at my son and he's on, he's got the stethoscope around his neck. And I said, I can remember when you would poop in your pants before you would come in. If you was playing that, that makes no sense to me. I, so my doctor now, did he used to poop in his pants when he didn't want to right. come in from playing? It, it takes the shine off of it. It takes the shine yeah, off of does. it, but by gosh, uh, uh, Jared and, and uh, Alex both, doctor and a veterinarian. And you know what? I'm not getting free medical care or free dog care. I don't know what's Nothing. going on. I, yeah. I, Listen, I my my son my son in law. It's not even blood, right? My son in law. If I possibly can work it in, I would say, yeah, Landon uh, Marion. My son in law is a cardiologist. Uh, he was in Chicago for quite a while as a cardiologist. The, uh, did I mention he was a cardiologist? We're not <laughs> by blood. We're not even related. But I'm hoping some of that where you know just shines off on me a little bit. Listen, sometimes it's hard to work it into conversation. Like when you go up to uh, McDonald's, when you go up to McDonald's, mm -hmm. and I say, "Can I help you?" Well, I don't really need any help. My son's a doctor, but I'd like to have a Big Mac, you know, I, 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 you know, yeah. I, I would I never, I, I would never you, mention in. In, in McDonald's, I would never mention the word cardiologist. I don't think at all. <laughs> if you think but, they yeah. don't care about your son, the doctor at McDonald's, let me just invite you to understand how much less they care about. <clears throat> I was in the National Spelling Bee and I'll have the chicken tenders. <laughs> No yeah. one cares. I I think that's a big deal. I think that's a big. I deal. think you. Can, I, really I agree do. with uh, with Lamar, but you have to work it in subtly, like uh, at a party. You know, yeah. 
It's just got to be a very subtle way. Somebody brings up Washington, D.C., and you have to say something like, uh, gosh, I have not been in Washington, D.C. since I was, mm, I guess, at the White House when I was a kid. <laughs> really? Real well, why were you at the White House? Real, why were you at the White House? Real. Oh, you're right. Oh, I, I, I don't I, want to talk about it. I don't know why I brought that. I don't no, 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 no. I really want to know because I've never met anybody that's been to the White House. Why were you there? I need Mary, to do a better job with that. You're right. Yeah. yeah. But I just don't yeah. know how to even go. Because then they go, oh, you were in the National Spelling Bee? Did you win? Nah, I did not win. No, 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 no. No, no, no. There's where you're wrong. I was in the National Spelling Bee. Did you win? Uh, I don't like to talk about it. This, you know. There you go. That's good. I don't like, I, you know, yeah, don't like that. Right. If I, I need do, if to I do that though, this. if I do that, I've got this one jackass that says, "Oh, you're in the National <laughs> Spelling Bee, huh?" Well, spell chrysanthemum. Let me see you do that, boy. Bob, I have waited my whole life for someone at a party to ask me to spell words. It has never happened and never will. <laughs> you're kidding. You don't even know. Like, I can totally spell chrysanthemum right off the top of my head. No one has ever once asked me. Go ahead and do it right now, and then we got to wrap. How do you spell it? C-H-R-Y, C-H-R-Y, S-A-N-T-H-E-M-U-M, chrysanthemum. I'm going to have to take you. Well, that's a big deal because me and Bob can't spell it, so we don't know if you're right or wrong. (laughs) That's exactly right. There is nothing, there is no skill a woman could bring into this world that is less valued than, I can spell. (laughs) Straight ahead, everyone needs a laugh with comedian Derek Stroop. You're going to love this guy. It's Bob and Sherry. Everyone Needs a Laugh is sponsored by Exergen. Accuracy matters, so make Exergen the chosen thermometer for your home and family. It's time for Everyone Needs a Laugh. Here is comedian Derek Stroop. Hey there, how y'all doing? Yeah, good. Uh, my name's Derek Stroop. Nice to meet y'all. Um, as you can tell, I'm not originally from around here. I know I sound like a bowl of gravy to y'all. I'm originally from Harvest, Alabama. I moved to Denver nine years ago to experience real-time travel. And we'll talk about that. Listen, I want to get right to it. I feel like the species of white people changes when you get west of Kansas. It's like a different, crunchier granola version of the same people. Like, their hobbies are different. Like, they love bicycles. And where I'm from, bicycles are a consequence for driving drunk. We, we worry our whole lives that we might end up on a Huffy one day. But not out there. The more money they make, the more they want to pedal to work, making $300,000 a year pedaling uphill. I'm like, you're an idiot, Doug. You don't have to save this planet with a bike. Listen, we got, we got cars that you can plug into coffee makers now. I mean, I saw a guy in Los Angeles two weeks ago. He started his vehicle with a good attitude and a crystal in his hand. You don't have to do that anymore, you know? They're just a different, like, they love rock climbing, okay? That seems like a cry for help to me, you know? Think about it. You're so sad that you got to almost die to feel something. And they love asking guys like me. They're like, hey, bro, you climb, bro? Ah, 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 you climb, bro? I'm like, listen, you know I don't climb, man. You can see my nipples through my T-shirt. You know I don't climb. You know, your name's River. My name's Derek. We're different. You know, I talk to my parents a lot, you know? It's just, it's just different, you know. And, and listen, a lot of hipsters, y'all have got them here. There's a lot of them. But as a Southerner, I blend in well with the hipsters. They've made all my clothes popular. They, no, y'all listen, they made Carhartt a mainstream brand. 
that's wild to me. One day I walked outside and everybody that worked remotely looked like a chicken farmer. <laughs> Carhartt, now listen, Carhartt used to be a brand where you could tell a lot about somebody. You know, six years ago, if you saw somebody wearing Carhartt, you knew that they struggled with math, ate a lot of deer meat, you know? <laughs> it's changed. It's a whirlwind. Now you got people getting out of Teslas that look like Huckleberry Finn. It's a wild ride. From, and hipsters made a lot of things popular. They brought back Champion, which is wild. Listen, I grew up in the 90s. I remember what Champion was, and it was hot garbage. It was Kmart's flagship brand. No, no, nobody wanted it. I remember I got it for Christmas. I was like, I knew we were white trash. I did. Thank you all. I mean, really, it's the only brand you got. I mean, right out of the package had tags on it. Smelled like cigarettes. <laughs> and they made all these things. I never saw any of this uh, hard seltzer, you know? That bothers me, too. As a Southerner, I feel like we've been drinking hard seltzer the longest. It's called Bush Light. <laughs> you, you talking about a little water, a little alcohol, a little seltzer? We have been doing that. Some guy in a beanie put it in a skinny tall can and added some raspberry. Now he's the hero, huh? That hurts my feelings. All these things, man. I'm fanny packs. Let me tell y'all, fanny packs already made a run. It didn't go great. I mean, we've already done this. I mean, I remember in 1997, if you put on a fanny pack, somebody would skateboard up to you and punch you right in the mouth. Now it's all changed. I mean, now if you put on a champion sweatshirt, a Carhartt beanie strapped on a fanny pack, you might get some sex, you idiot. Thank y'all. I needed that applause break. I'm running out of breath at sea level, which is embarrassing. It really is. I think I gained 20 pounds during the quarantine because I got in the crock pots real heavy. We've all messed around with the crock pot or two, but I bought a power strip. I started running five or six at a time. Now, I could not believe that they invented something I could forget about and absolutely nail. As a guy with ADHD, it's been, it's been a fun ride for me. People come over all the time. They're like, Derek, what did you do to these beans? I'm like, I forgot about them. <laughs> yeah, man, 13 hours on low. How about that? Hey, thank y'all, man. Y'all were a blast. Thank y'all so much. He's great. Oh, he's great. <laughs> That's yeah. Derek Stroop. We're going to post him up at B-O-B-A-N-D-S-H-E-R-I.com. Just click the menu tab. Look for everyone needs a laugh and don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. It's Bob and Sherry. Hello, I'm Paloma Vivas and I am a Dodea assistant principal at Lester Middle School here in Okinawa, Japan. I would like to wish a very special holiday season to all of our friends and family in Pico Rivera, California. Here's Bob and Sherry. Ooh, I want to talk about snowflakes. This is an amazing little nugget, y'all. In 1887, a rancher named Matt Coleman in western Montana went out to check on his herd during a snowstorm. And there were enormous snowflakes falling in his pasture. He said they were bigger than milk pans, more than 15 inches in diameter. These are colossal. They're the largest snowflakes ever recorded, according wow. to the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh -huh. So, unfortunately, because it was 1887, we don't have, you know, iPhone photos. But it, it made meteorologists wonder, what's the biggest that a snowflake can get? 
And so yeah, they've yeah. talked to a physics professor at um, California Institute of Technology who said, monster big snowflakes are rare, but not impossible. Because when people talk about snowflakes, kids, what we're actually talking about are snow crystals, which are single crystals of ice within which the water molecules line up in this pattern like a hexagon that makes you see the snowflake that we're all familiar with. But what happens when a single snow crystal partners up and sticks together in midair with hundreds or thousands of other snow crystals in really cold places? So you'd have to be like real, like you'd have to be in Yellowknife, right? Real cold places. You'll see these enormous snowflakes that look like puffballs. Wouldn't you would love, love to that. see one? I would love to see that with my grandchildren. Take them outside and show them that. That would be so amazing. 15 inches in diameter falling gently to the ground. Giant puffball snowflakes. It's possible. And this is something to be thankful for if you live in a real cold place and you're dreading winter. Maybe you'll see some of these bad boys. It's Bob and Sherry. Hello, I'm special Safara Faro um, from uh, 11K Supply Agency. I'm from uh, Anchorage, Alaska. I'm stationed in Poland, and I just wanted to say uh, happy holidays to my family and friends, and I will see you guys soon. Here's Bob and Sherry. It is talkback time. You can pick up the phone 24-7 and call us at 844-52-SHERI, or you can grab our free app in Google Play or the Apple Store, and with it, you can listen to the show every day and all of our podcasts, and you can text the studio, and you can tap the little microphone in the bottom center of the screen and talk, and the app will do the rest. Hey there, this is Matthew calling from Texas. I've been listening to y'all for 20 years since I started listening in Lexington, Kentucky. And I got to tell you, I did not anticipate that one of Sherry's science moments would throw me into a spiritual awakening today. But I'm standing in my kitchen, uh, cleaning out the coffee pot from this morning, and I was just moved to tears hearing the astronauts, well, I can't even talk about it, hearing the astronauts quote the first um, 10 verses from Genesis, and they were in a lunar thing that originally had been designed for nuclear war and all of that. Um, I had not yet gotten the Christmas spirit this year, but you guys did it once again. So thank you so much for what you do um, and for Wow, making us laugh and renewing my hope uh, today that there is goodness and joy and um, and hope dawning in this season of Christmas. So thanks, Bob and Cherry. Appreciate it so much. Oh, so wow. So yeah, we we had um, we were talking about we just recently lost another of our great Apollo astronauts and. A lot, it, I'm amazed because I'm such a space nerd. I'm amazed at how many people I encounter who haven't heard or seen all of the things that came back from the various Apollo missions. Everybody knows about walking on the moon, right? But there mm-hmm. were other Apollo missions and other discoveries and Wild things like if you go to the Kennedy Space Center, you'll see the Saturn V rocket that first launched people into space. And that was a repurposed intercontinental ballistic missile. So I need you to think about what it's like 
to be strapped to a missile and launched into the heavens without any idea what was going to happen. So what he was talking about was December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1968. It was the crew of Apollo 8, Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman, who just passed away. These were the first human beings to travel to the moon, even though they didn't walk on the moon. The best we could do was get them into lunar orbit. So it's Christmas Eve, and the three astronauts read from the book of Genesis as they orbited the moon and around the world, 64 countries, a billion people tuned in to listen to this. We are now approaching uh, lunar sunrise and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and divided the light from the darkness. tell you two things two things about this um the crew of the apollo 8 chose to read that section of genesis because they felt that it spoke to it spoke most broadly to all the world religions right they want it to be inclusive Mm -hmm. and then the second thing to tell you is they printed it um, they printed out their readings on fireproof paper and it was sealed into the mission flight plan, the book, the flight plan book, um, because they were so determined that they were going to do this. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, in 1968 on Christmas Eve, one in four people on Earth watched that, tuned into that. Isn't that amazing? I we don't are think you could get divided, that audience today, even for no, that. Yeah, we're a divided yeah. species. We're a divided mm-hmm. species, but. One in four people on earth listen to that. And that color photograph, that famous iconic color photograph, it's called Earthrise. 
Um, and it was taken by um, William Anders, one of the Apollo 8 astronauts, on Christmas Eve 1968, where you see the Earth floating all blue and beautiful against a black velvet sky and the surface of the moon in the bottom third of the image. They broadcast that that night during this, that reading. Of course, people of Earth saw it as a grainy black and white TV image. But today, that shot, Earthrise, is one of the most iconic images that humanity possesses. And it reminds us that we are fragile and all alone in the vastness of space. And we should stop being such giant dicks to each other. Just a thought. It's Bob go. and Sherry. Hi, my name is Lieutenant Colonel Timmy Decker. I'm the commander of Ford Land Forces Battle Group Poland. I want to give a special shout out to all of our families back home, wherever that may be. The United States, Great Britain, Croatia, Romania, or Poland. Your soldiers are out here doing fantastic work, and that is all enabled by your support back home. Thank you so much for everything you do to make them successful in Eastern Poland, assuring our partners and allies, and deterring our adversaries. Happy holidays. Here's Bob and Sherry. Well, if you didn't see Dolly Parton dressed as a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader at the uh, Dallas game, you probably have seen a picture of her in the Dallas cheerleader outfit, and she looks obviously just amazing. And she was uh, promoting her new album, which has been in the works for a while. It's called Rockstar, All Rock Songs, and she collaborates with some really interesting people. For instance, the first the first cut that I heard was As Long As I Can See the Light with the great John Fogarty. Their two voices are perfect together. It just works. Listen to some of the other things. Open Arms with Steve Perry. Magic Man with Ann Wilson. Uh, who else is on here? Wrecking Ball with uh, Miley Cyrus, of course. Uh, You're No Good with Emmylou Harris and Cheryl Crow. It goes on and on. Free Bird. Uh, she does Let It Be with uh, Paul and Ringo. The one that really blew me away, though, was the Stones song, Satisfaction. She does it with Pink and Brandy Carlisle. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a rock star, Dolly Parton. that not fantastic <laughs> i mean they those three away. voices good. so good oh my so good. goodness it's such a guy song but they own it we don't have time to play the whole thing right now but that's a very almost misogynistic male song and they just make it their own they change the lyrics yeah. in the third verse a little bit and it's it's a fantastic album i'm telling they do uh she does stairway to heaven with lizzo she does uh, What's Up with Linda Perry, uh, Heartbreaker just... with Pat Benatar. 
me just jump in here. It may be a man's song, and the original lyrics might have been kind of misogynistic, but ain't nobody knows what it's like to not get no satisfaction like a woman. And that, ladies and gentlemen, encapsulates our, uh, our bit about Rockstar. <laughs> Pull it up a little bit more. Let's hear it just a little bit more. She's just amazing. It's a it's a great album. Rockstar, Dolly Parton and Friends. It's Bob and Cherry. Can you believe this is sponsored by State Farm? Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You read it once. I don't believe that. And then you read it again. I can't believe this. It's Bob and Cherry's. I don't believe this shit. I cannot believe this shit. We've all heard the stereotypes, you know, like, oh, people from California are kind of new age and people from New England are kind of thrifty. Is it possible that where you're from really does like shape your personality? The answer, according to this, is yes. So let me ask you, um, give me some stereotypes based on region. What is the stereotype about people from the Midwest? They're very nice and um, very welcoming and um, they enjoy beer and they have uh, a wholesome outlook that is um, positive. How about the South, Lamar? Give me some stereotypes about the South. <clears throat> Polite, friendly, Jesus-loving, and hardworking. You guys are nailing yeah. these. Um, give yeah. me some stereotypes about people from, like, you know, Maine, Vermont, Rhode Island, Connecticut. Okay, I'll jump in on that. Um, they are hardworking, they are honest, and they sometimes are a little hesitant about newcomers who they say are from away. That is, that's the uh, expression, from away. Now, uh, people know if they listen that I just love that part of the world, but um, I'm one of them. And so <laughs> I guess I can speak that way. I'm actually not one of them because Connecticut is not Maine. But um, that that's my takeaway, that uh, they're very, very proud of uh, where they live. Well, there's a brand new field of study called geopsychology, and it's super interesting because it kind of backs up every stereotype any of us have ever had about any part of the United States. They look at... Um, five different personality dimensions. And the acronym for this is CANOE. You see this in a lot of mental health. So there's conscientiousness and agreeableness and neuroticism. And the other way to say that is like emotional stability, openness and extroversion. And of course, everything's on a spectrum, right? Like Lamar mm -hmm. is very extroverted. Is he the most extroverted person you've ever met? No, but he's way more extroverted than Doc. I'm I'm like you, Bob, pretty introverted, but Doc makes us look like a couple of carnies, okay, because he's so much more introverted. So everything's right. on a spectrum and, you know, there's no like, there's no, you know, hard and fast math here, but it turns out that um, your extroverts, that's highest across your central northern states, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio, Pennsylvania, 
Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. You have a handful of extroverts in Texas, but big parts of the Northwest, the Western and the Pacific states score low for it. So this business of like when you're in Wisconsin and there's a tavern on every corner and everyone you meet feels like an old friend, that's that extroverted personality type showing up. Then let's look at agreeable. Agreeable means kind and considerate, prepared to compromise, charming, hospitable, welcome. And guess where it shows up the most? Louisiana to North Carolina, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida. It's a real big Southern characteristic. But when you go to Minnesota and the Dakotas, woo, do you find some agreeable people. And then it really gets friendly. Montana, New Mexico, Nevada, Kansas, Oklahoma. Um, There is a grumpiness epicenter in New England that no one can explain. It's so unfair, but it's right there. Uh, Conscientiousness. Lamar brought this up about the South, you know, this duty and responsibility to family and faith and all of that. Ooh, buddy, you see that the highest levels of that are in the South. But there's a real big chunk of it in the Dakotas, Montana, and Wyoming. Um, Now, you get to the Northeast, and it drops. People are not as agreeable. Let's talk about emotional stability. The highest scores, the most emotionally stable people, are in the West and the South. We've got a little island of emotional stability in central Pennsylvania, but it completely falls apart by the time you get to Philly. <laughs> <laughs> Pennsylvania is Pennsylvania is Philly and then the South and then Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. You know, yeah, yeah. 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 That's kind of what it is. Um, I, I hate to, to even talk about the grumpiness of New England, but it, it has to have something to do with the weather, which can be very extreme. I saw this thing one time, it was about a year ago, and they did a study on the grumpiest people in the United States, and Rhode Island was the epicenter. Little Rhodey, smallest state. Well, when you think about it, like geography and population and weather dictate a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Like, So, for example, yeah. people in Philadelphia, not very agreeable. People in New York, not very agreeable. People in Tucumcari, New Mexico, extremely agreeable. Why? Blue skies and sunshine and wide yeah. open spaces. Whereas in like DC, Philly, New York, Baltimore, people are living right on top of each other and the yeah. snow is only pretty for a weekend and then it's gray and nasty right. till Easter, right? So there's now a there, lot there of- There are some positive things about that part of the world, obviously. I mean, the history, the museums, the restaurants, the culture, it, it's there. But it is more of a battle to live somewhere like that. Chicago, too. Yeah, it's just harder. There's a lot of really, really cool, interesting stuff here. We'll get it all posted up on the Bob and Sherry Facebook because it's kind of fascinating to see how what you thought, like about people in Oregon, turns out to be absolutely true. They're chill and friendly and just ready to get along with whatever you got. 
It's Bob and Sherry. Don't miss Bob and Sherry's annual tree lighting on Thursday, December 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern during happy hour. Join Bob, Sherry, Max, Lamar, Heather, and Doc for a Facebook Live event full of holiday cheer. Plus, we'll be giving five lucky winners a holiday gift box that includes surprises from Check Feather and Down Company, Deanna Bean Children's Books, and more. Tis the season to celebrate with your online family at Bob and Sherry's Tree Lighting Happy Hour, December 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. I'm Allison Lilliman with U.S. Army NATO in Sandbach, Germany. I'd like to wish my family in Colorado Springs happy holidays. I miss you guys, and I'll see you soon. Here's Bob and Sherry. You know, this is the time of year when we're getting together with family and that kind of stuff, and maybe you've been away from family all year. You know, maybe maybe you're running across some people that haven't seen you in a few years. Here are the most feared questions that you may be asked over the Christmas Uh holidays over the dinner table. Number one. Have you put on weight? I can't imagine somebody saying that. I cannot, unless you're a guy. If you're a guy, somebody would probably say that. Okay, I I can see that. Number two, what's your New Year's resolution? Mm. Really? Mm. I mean, I don't want to talk about that. We haven't talked about that. To not see you again. (laughs) Yeah. Now, here is the hot potato. Who are you going to vote for in the next election? Oh, no. no we no, just no, got no, through no. with Thanksgiving. And I knew I got, mm-hmm. yeah, I had some people coming and I know where everybody's at. So I go to both sides and I said, let me make a rule right quick. There's only one thing we will not discuss is politics. You got it? Yeah. Right. I go to the next right. one. There's only one thing we won't discuss politics. You got it? Yes. We had a wonderful meal. A wonderful yeah. meal. All yeah. right. The other one is. Is marriage or engagement in the cards? How you looking? Mm-hmm. How's your personal life? Are you dating anybody? Mm-hmm. Are you going to get married? Right. Here's mm-hmm. the one that's a killer. Have you got a job yet? Oh, no, no. <laughs> okay. No. That's bad there's, if you don't. There's always okay. one guy. I, I, many years of being at a, at a holiday meal with my family and working on this show, they said that to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you got a job yet? And this goes back to the other one. Have you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend? What 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 what's going on? What's going on? Why not? Why not? Why not? Mm-hmm. Here's another one. Don't you want another child? Is four not oh, enough? God. Don't you want another one? Let's round this That's out with worst. five. Yeah. And That's and the here's worst. the one I here's the one I want to hear. Here's the one I want to hear. Have you lost weight? I've never heard that. <laughs> I want somebody to no. say that. I right. really, really, really do. I really do. So, listen, get your answers prepared. You don't want to be caught cold. This is Bob and Sherry. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bob and Sherry podcast. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever checked out the Bob and Sherry podcast? In our latest episode, Happy Underdog Day, we take a look at some of December's other holidays and... We also take you inside Cola Guard. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the podcast. I have some good news. And um, for some of us, it's really good news because we spend a lot of time online and on our phones. And for people that really want this to not be true, sorry, but here's the latest. Two million people aged 15 to 89 in 168 countries. So that's like the world. That's a study of people 15 to 89 around the world. And we have found, this was done at Oxford University, um, there's just no connection 
between using the internet and your phone and poor mental health outcomes. There's, there's just no connection. So um, they said that if, if using the internet and being on your phone a lot were as bad for you as everyone says it is, we would have found it. It just isn't true. Now, they didn't look at social media. I think if you looked at social media, I think you would find a tremendous amount of damage. Yeah. But just phones and internet in general, they said we can't, there's no smoking gum. We just can't find it. This, it's a popular idea that being online and using your phone have a negative effect on your well-being and mental health. But it turns out that, no, it just isn't true. It's possible there's, there are other more important things going on. But anytime someone tells you that mobile phones and the Internet are bad for your mental health, you should take that with skepticism because we can't find any link. That right, let me said, ask you this. I, again, social media, I think it would be very negative. Go ahead, Lamar. I just read an article that talked about the fact that our memories and um, that kind of thing are affected by the fact that we're lazy. And instead of trying to remember something or come up how, with how something is spelled or whatever it would take for me to go back through my memories, I jump on the Internet to find this out so I can keep moving. Would this include that too? Um, well, there's a there's a school, there are two schools of thought, right? And this is an interesting idea. Here's the first one. Pre-internet, you had to learn certain kinds of facts and formulas and information. You had to learn them and commit them to memory in order to live. Yes. Like how many pints are in a court and um, yeah. what is, you know, uh, the normal body temperature for an infant, all sorts of things, right? But then yep. the internet came along and instead of forcing yourself to become like a walking repository of remembered facts and formulas, now you don't have to memorize that stuff. You need to learn how to ask the question to get the answer because the yep. internet is remembering all of that for you. So yep. for example, spelling is a great, like I'm a good speller. It's an, you're born this way. Like it's no magic trick. You're born able to spell or not. Some people just are incredibly brilliant and they can't spell. But you have spell check now, so what's the big deal? So I'm having this conversation with a family member about how, no, you know, the internet, you don't need, kids today don't need to memorize everything because we've got access to the internet. We, they can learn differently. And he goes, what if the bombs fall and there's no internet? Okay, well, if the bombs fall and there's no internet, I finally will win the National Spelling Bee. Not that we're going to be having it because we're going to be like trying to catch raccoons to make them into soup, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I can remember what now I used to could remember everybody I knew. I remember their phone number. I remember their phone number constantly. Yes. I mean, I just I remember the phone numbers and all that stuff now. Right now, and this is very sad, if you took away my phone and told me to call my kids because they've changed phones and whatever, I couldn't call them. Now, I can tell Siri to call them and she'll call them right away, but I don't, I haven't, I've not memorized their phone numbers. Well, I, I just I have my, I have my daughter's phone numbers that I just kind of know, but, but here's a perfect example, Lamar. Why do you need to fill your head with phone numbers when you have a device I, yeah, exactly. in your pocket 
that can remember a near infinite amount of phone numbers. Now, let me bring my family member into the room to go, yeah, but what if civilization ends? Then what's Lamar going to do? Well, civilization has ended. He can't call call nobody. He's going to take the energy he spent talking to people and he's going to go out and try to catch a raccoon to turn it into soup. (laughs) That's how that's how that's going to work. So if you think about it, like it's kind of amazing the ways you can free your brain up to do other things because you don't have to retain like i was thinking last week cooking thanksgiving dinner gosh is it two weeks ago now almost how is it almost christmas but anyway so i'm cooking thanksgiving dinner and um one of my girls wanted to make something and they'd gotten the recipe from a website and it was all in metric well once upon a time that would have been kind of tricky i would have had to dig out like a textbook or something because like all good Americans, I couldn't tell you what a gram or a kilo is. No. Now you go online and you just convert and there you go. Boom. Like that's a you great, great example of good stuff on the internet, right? The great thing about this country is the only people that know the metric system are drug dealers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? <laughs> you speak the truth, Lamar. It's Bob and Sherry. Good morning. My name is Sergeant Nicole Shepard, and I am a logistics specialist here in Grafenwehr, Germany, with the 163rd Regional Support Group. I just wanted to wish my five babies and my family and friends a very, very Merry Christmas. And go Chiefs! Here's Bob and Sherry. So as you guys know, um, Karamia's leopard gecko, Yeti, is home this semester. Uh, He was at school, but he's home this semester, and... I feed him. He eats about once every five days. And since I've been feeding him, of course, he's developed um, extreme bougie food preferences and will only eat live mealworms, which makes me feel like an absolute monster. Like, I feel like it puts the mealworm in its mouth or it gets the hose again. Like, I feel like a monster. Okay. Um, and, and a new thing has started happening when I walk into Karamia's room. I say, hey, Yeti, and he spr- he sits up and he springs toward the door of his little house and, and like, acknowledges me. And I said, I think he knows who I am and loves me because I'm the mealworm lady. And everyone was like, oh, you need to get out more, blah, blah, blah. I looked it up. Leopard geckos, um, they recognize you by your scent. Really? Did you know? I did not know that. They recognize you by their scent, by your scent. Now, this is like some skill that they've been evolving for um, a long time. Not because they were hoping to someday live in a terrarium in Karamia's bedroom, but it's like a predator thing. Like they can smell that you're friendly or smell that you're an enemy, but they really do recognize you. And once, this is crazy sounding, once um, they recognize you, then they begin slowly over time building a bond of trust with you. And here's the best part. They know their names after a while. Shut up. <laughs> Who's figured this out? I guess some sort of rep- reptologist. What would you call like a, a herpetologist maybe? 
So, um, so I'm, I'm looking up all these interesting facts about leopard geckos because, you know, like now I'm apparently taking care of one. So they can go a long time without eating, but like any good Italian mother, that that keeps me up at night. Karami is always like, Mom, he's going to be fine. He's not, he doesn't need to eat all the time. But if more than five days goes by and he's not been fed, like it makes me anxious. Um, yeah. If you attack a leopard gecko and you're getting its tail, the leopard gecko will detach its tail and disappear yeah. and grow a new one. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. That's um, cool. They do know their names. And um, if you look through their ears, you can oh see my. through their heads. Now, I've been trying. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on I feel like I have disputed that in. about myself for years. I just put something in my coffee that you just said that. Yeah, if you look through their ears, you can see right through their head. I am not going to tell you the amount of time I spent over the weekend. Trying to see through Yeti's head. I do have Could you put a string through there or something? Could you put exactly. a string through there? I do have other things to do. I even have hobbies. <laughs> I'm work. I'm making something for my mom that I'm working on around the clock, trying to get it finished. But once I've read that if you if you get in just the right spot and you look through their ears, you can see straight through their head. Oh yeah, yeah. And here's the oh other thing God. I learned. And I, I, I'm waiting for Karamia to come home so we can have a talk about it. Leopard, ge- leopard geckos can live for more than 20 years. Wow. Whoa. Max. So, so there's like two people here out of the people that you're listening to who have actually fed this particular gecko. Yes. And yeah, there is. You're I'm right. one of them. Yep. <laughs> Tell me you didn't find him to be the most dashing little man. Come on. Come on. I was like, I lived in such mortal fear that he was going to die under my care. Oh, God. Between that yeah. and the cats, when I was taking care of them, I just was like, please, God, don't let anything bad happen <laughs> to any of these creatures. God, don't die now. Don't and die then, now. of course, the, the most stressful was to feed him because you have certain things that you have to feed. And if he doesn't like this, and then maybe he'll like this. And then you can... Oh, man. I was so stressed about taking care of the gecko. That was the worst mm. part of it. I didn't mind having to deal with dead flies or mealworms or whatever it was that I had there. I didn't because he has regular food. Don't and then choke. He has, Don't he has, choke. He has snack food. So they're two well, different his, things. His primary meals are live mealworms. And, oh, buddy, that is like a full silence of the lamb situation to feed them. But he does enjoy a freeze-dried cricket or a freeze-dried mealworm as a snack. He knows his name. He knows his name. And if you look through his ears, you can see through his head. As soon as I get that, and if I can get a picture of it, hey, guys, that's my promise to you. If I can get a picture through Yeti's ears, I'm going to send it to both of you right away. You know, Sherry. I'll I wait will, with bated breath. I will <laughs> gladly take care of the cats again, and I will take care of Yeti. But I did remind Karamia the last time I had contact with her that Yeti misses her, and perhaps she needs to take Yeti with her to school. Because it would work wherever she's living, right? You would think, yeah. You would think. I'm a wreck over this animal. I'm a wreck because a living thing is in my care. A living thing that bounces to the door when I come into the room and cocks his head at me. 
and apparently he knows can me smell now. You. He can smell 20 you. years, y'all. I'm never going to be free. I'm never nope. going to be free. Nope. It's Bob and Sherry. Now, let's open up the Bob and Sherry Archive Vault. The Elf on the Shelf has become one of my children's most beloved holiday traditions, and I'm so excited to welcome to our show Krista Pitts, who is, well, let's call her the godmother of Fisbee the Elf on the Shelf. Good morning, Krista. Good morning. How are you, Sherry? We're great. How are you? I can't believe the Elf on the Shelf is going to have his own TV show. I know. I know. We're thrilled, too, I have to say. It's been quite a journey and a lot of fun. Krista, can you tell people who don't know about the Elf on the Shelf what the concept is? Sure, sure. The Elf on the Shelf is a real scout elf from the North Pole, and so it comes with a book that kind of explains what I'm about to tell you. But in essence, the elf hibernates until it gets its magic. And then every night during the holiday season while children are sleeping, the elf is flying to Santa Claus and providing an update on the full day's activities. And then when the children wake up in the morning, the elf is back from the North Pole and is in a new place in the house. So the kids get to go find the elf. And uh, there's a couple rules, like you're not supposed to touch the elf after you've named it because its Christmas magic is fragile and could go away. And the elf, of course, cannot speak to children because it's on strict orders from Santa to watch and to listen. So it's basically a direct liaison to Santa during the Christmas season. You know, I have something similar to that in my life. It's called the relative on the shelf, and it doesn't do anything all all day long. It doesn't move, but I don't think it goes to Santa. That's that's that the would main that would require difference. Effort. Yeah, right. Well, I, I'm concerned about whatever that report might be, Bob. To tell you the truth. <laughs> right, I know, I know. It's a great, great idea. And so oh, I guess the elf goes and tells Santa, and then it comes back to the house and is in some place different, right? Exactly. Fisbee's very tricky. Mm-hmm. Very, very. So um, what did you say your elf's name was? Fisbee. Fisbee. Oh, that was my elf's name growing up. Fisbee, yes. And last year, Fisbee was so cunning, he hid inside the oven and we didn't know. We couldn't find him anywhere until we reached for the oven door to turn it on to cook dinner. And there was Fisbee. Very, very Whoa. tricky elf. Yeah. Trying well, to uh, warm up a little bit, it sounds yeah, like. Well, it's cold up there this time of my, year. My relative's yeah. name was Sean, and he was in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, when we tune in to watch an elf story, the true story of the elf on the shelf, what sort of adventures does the elf get up to? Well, you know, it's all about a nine-year-old little boy named Taylor McTuttle who's not really sure that he believes anymore, you know, whether he believes in Santa or in Christmas or even in the elf. And he has two little twin uh, sisters who are definitely big believers. And so it's the, the job of the elf once he arrives at the McTuttle home to really find a way to help Taylor believe again and to recapture that magic of Christmas. And it's going to be on CBS this coming Friday night at 9.30 Eastern. And I understand that um, for for parents, this is one you're going to want to watch. And if you miss it, DVR it. Because this is like state-of-the-art technology that was like all the best of the best was brought together to make the North Pole and the Elf and the whole story come to life. 
Right. You know, we interviewed a lot of elves before we were able to put the special together, and Santa gave us his blessing, and we worked with this brilliant animation company, Trick 3D, out of Atlanta, and they really captured the magic and the warmth and the depth of the North Pole, and I think you're going to see that. They had a lot of cutting-edge animation techniques that they used to make it, and I think it really comes to life in that way. Very warm and, and very comfortable. It just makes you want to grab some hot cocoa and throw some marshmallows in it and just enjoy. Well, Krista, I want to congratulate you on all of your success, and thank you for bringing the story of the elf on the shelf to the world. And, you know, it's not very many people that get to have as their life's legacy that they created a magical new Christmas tradition. So good for you. Thank you so much. You're and, my family, and I really appreciate that. That means a lot to us. And I'm going to tell my cousin, Sean, he lives in a small cabin alone in the Maine woods now. And he said he's getting cable, so he, he might he want to watch. see that. Yes. Well, I know I'm that me and my two... about your family, Bob. Very mm-hmm. <laughs> Me and my They're two daughters and Fisbee will be watching. Krista Pitts, you have a wonderful holiday. You guys, too. Thank you so much. Take Thank care. you, Krista. Bye-bye. Bye. My cousin Sean, that's the one who went through seventh grade three times. He re- and then went and hid really in the uh, New knows. England woods. He's hiding in the woods. Hi, I'm Sergeant Brian Duke with Echo FSC 52nd BEB. I'm a striker mechanic from Alaska. I want to give a shout out to my wife and kids, Nicole, Maddie, and Olivia. I love you. Happy holidays, and I'll see y'all soon. Here's Bob and Sherry. Well, researchers at Oxford University say they have finally discovered which is smarter, cats or dogs. Okay. And cat owners, not going to like it. Not going to like it. It's Bofin's character claims that dogs have developed bigger brains than cats because they need more brain power than solitary cats. The men in white coats analyzed data on the brain and body size of more than 500 species from the past 60 million years. They found that the brains of monkeys had grown the most over that period of time, followed by horses, dolphins, camels, and dogs. Cats had a lot less brain brain growth. But that doesn't surprise me because dogs have to struggle and go do this and they got to work and they got to do that and they got to run here and there. The cat basically sets down till the human comes and brings them what they think the cat wants. Is that not how it works, Sherry? I was going to say, Lamar, um, I'm not sure brain size equates here because a dog works for a living and a cat yep. just stares at you until you fetch. <laughs> yeah. Now you won't he offend me. Just, yeah, I have yeah. I have four cats who don't add up to one cat's IQ. So you're, I am not offended. <laughs> but they're sweet. I was really surprised. I was surprised by I, the monkeys made perfect sense. Horses though, uh, but then camels. I never camels. think about camels. I don't know, but. It's on the internet, and it's from Oxford University, so there must be something to it. I know this. I got a dog that makes me do everything she wants me to do, so she's got the brain power. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's all I can say. This is Bob and Sherry. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Bob and Sherry podcast, the Oddcast, and Talking Lamar. We would love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review, and maybe share it with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you go. And thank you again so much for listening. Tis the month of St. Patty's Day, and here's a random related fact. Did you know that the odds of finding a lucky four-leaf clover are 1 in 10,000? I'd say that's pretty difficult. Fortunately, if you're a business owner or hiring manager, you don't need luck to find top talent for your team. You need ZipRecruiter, and right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Bob. You don't need a leprechaun when ZipRecruiter's brilliant technology is going to walk you right to that pot of gold of top talent. As soon as you post your job, ZipRecruiter powerful technology starts showing you the best qualified candidates for it. Aren't you just a wee bit curious to see how ZipRecruiter can help you? Well, today's your lucky day because you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Bob. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Once again, just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Bob. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.